Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ. In our series, Identity Theft, we'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. Podcast listeners, we want to welcome you. You know that we've been in the middle of a mini-series on dealing with the millennials or the millennial generation. And within that, there are obviously these messages that are packed in there that are dealing with the issue of authority. Today's message is 166 out of the Identity Matters series. And the title of the message is called Authority to Principles in Eternity. And I will explain that as we go. But the issue of authority has definitely created an interest of a lot of listeners. And we have received a few emails, not so many text messages this past week but some emails in regard to people's opinion in regard to dealing with this issue of authority. It's given me more and more proof that our present generation, the millennial generation, is in serious trouble. They just simply do not get why we are even probing the whole topic of authority. Now, after I look back on the cultures that have come in and out since 1950s, I get it. Jane and I were talking today, sitting out on the front porch, about the damage that the 70s, which is us, what the 70s did with that whole movement, which is popularized by the term hippies, the hippie movement. And what we did is we broke away from our parents shortly after what was classified as the sexual revolution. And what the sexual revolution was, was bringing the idea of sex into the public, which became open sex. When you went to a concert back then, it was fruitless to try to guard your eyes because there was open sex going on in the audience. The music was focused on sexual-oriented lyrics and so forth and so on. The sexual revolution is what birthed the hippie movement. So the 60s people are the ones that brought it out from the proper protection of behind closed doors and they brought it into the public. And they developed an attitude. Now keep in mind that their kids are a part of this movement as kids. 
So when the full 70s thing started to bloom, it became a culture. Anytime something goes from a twisted thing going on in your mind to coming into being a culture, then there's been a major shift in society. And yes, I believe that the 70s, my generation, I was a hippie. I was one of the ones that really helped turn it into a culture. And from that hippie movement, our children openly watched what was going on, and that's what created this detachment from the children. And if you remember, they call it the latchkey kids or the latchkey society. These kids grew up by themselves being their own parent or parents. Now we have to ask the question, where in the world was the parents? They joined this whole thing about mommy works outside the home now and daddy works outside the home, of course. And there was this industry drive for male and female for equal rights. That took off at such a fast pace because still, during that time, there were so many women suppressed by having to stay at home. They were released. So what happened to the kids? Well, if you were a mommy and a daddy that had buku bucks, you could pay for babysitters and nannies. Still resulting in someone else training up your children. What happened in the church during that time is the church formed these Sunday school classes and after school programs and categorical programs for different ages of these kids. The whole focus became programs within the church. Meanwhile, now the church is raising your children and mommy and daddy are off making money to pay for those new toys. Now the millennial generation is coming up now and their parents are not only gone, they started communicating through this new movement, this technology society that hit the entire world not too long ago. And what that did is it sped everything up so fast that people couldn't even keep track of it anymore. Kids were learning things from their parents on the internet that they should not have been learning. Now these kids are what we classify as millennial adults. They spend more time on their phone. I just got this little statistic from a friend in Atlanta. They spend more time on their phones than they do in their Bibles. This is Christian surveys. We have lost touch with the written world. We've lost touch with the physical world, the tactile world. And we have shifted into relationships, Bible, and whatever in digital format. People are attending churches online like they have never before, of course. And now we have a brand new generation called Generation Z. And these kids 
at 12 years of age, the statistics that are already out, and I have placed them in my new book, which is The Father, Authority of the Trinity, Refuting a New Kind of Christianity. In the last chapter, you'll notice that there is a chapter entitled Generation Z, Equipping the Zers. This is the smallest generation we have before us today. The statistics will blow your mind. And for example, there is more sexual abuse from adults to children than there ever has been in history. In fact, I guess there was an increase of 4,400% between the millennial generation and Generation Z. You want to know why? Because anyone could pretend to be a 13-year-old and capture them into discussions and send pictures. You could send a picture of yourself that looks like one of the Hollywood stars, and these kids believe it ultimately leading them to a coffee shop. And I think you can figure out the story from there. This is our Zers. They've already got their titles. They've already got their buzzwords. And they're in trouble. So there was a quick run-through for you of just the last, what the Bible would call, generation, 40 years. Don't tell me we haven't come a long way, baby. If you think we're moving fast now, you should read the statistics on Generation Z. They can have more information available to them, and they're quicker at figuring out how to get it than you can get it. They're using terminology, and they're expressing themselves in ways that their parents don't even know what they mean. It's a brand new language being born. You thought the text message language was weird? You should read some of the stuff that's in the last chapter of my book. It's crazy. We're in trouble, and you better be listening. These are great messages to listen to because we're addressing the primary issue that's affecting these last three societies, these last three global cultures. And it is the issue of authority. So that's why the title of the book seems a little bit strange. The Father, Authority of the Trinity, and then Refuting a New Kind of Christianity. If you don't get the authority link, forget about it. You will never truly understand the power of the Word. But before we go on any further, let's talk about our book of the week. The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. This thing has been in print for so long it's ridiculous and I, I can't tell you how many times they've reprinted it and how many copies have been put out there and put into the hands of people, let alone the stories that continue and the teachings that continue to move forward from what Watchman Nee put together here. 
He refers to the identity that you have in Christ Jesus in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is in you and the outpouring of the life of Christ from you in such a way that he calls it normal. Well, Watchman Nee, I'm pretty sure you can't hear us here on earth, but you would roll over in heaven if you realized it's not normal. In fact, those of us who are very strict and following the guidelines of the indwelling life of Jesus are called cult leaders. There's a special website dedicated to people like me. Nasty, horrible postings that people can go to this Exchange Life website and post horrible things about these Exchange Lifers. I have visited it a couple times and I'm not going back. It is very, very oppressive. There's a whole movement that's happening worldwide that is forming, collecting faster than our network is collecting to come against these exchange lifers. To come against those who are believing that The life of Christ actually lives inside your mortal body. They think that's asinine. Ridiculous. They believe following Christ is the answer for the end times. These are not unsaved people on this site. These are people claiming to be Christians, which I agree with them. They want Christ following. It is becoming a church political movement. Sorry, Watchman Nee, this didn't turn out the way you thought. But in the end, the few of us are going to cling to the inward dwelling life of Jesus Christ and being in Christ and Christ being in us. These are the ones I am for certain at 602-292-2982. We will be the chosen ones. The ticket, when you pull it out of your back pocket, better say, Jesus Christ lives inside this mortal being. That's your ticket, the indwelling life of Christ. And if you do not have him, you will go to hell. 602-292-2982. Thank you, Watchman Nee for producing this quality piece of work. It's not a small book. It's a pretty thick book. But it's got straightforward doctrines in a straightforward way. Here's a little millennial cutie for you.
to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish and he said I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me I cried for help from the depth of Sheol thou didst hear my voice for thou hadst cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the current engulfed me all thy breakers and billows passed over me so I said I have been expelled from thy sight Nevertheless, I will look again toward thy holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But thou hast brought up my life from the pit. O my God, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to thee. Into thy holy temple... Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Someone please tell me exactly what Jonah was repenting of. Disobedience. What was his initial thing he was trying to run from? Made a real big deal about this in our last podcast. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. You see, you can't experience power. I mean, just even if you're just looking at human relationships... We walk around and we say, well, that guy was really a powerful guy. Or that was a powerful illustration. or that We use the power very lightly here on earth. But you cannot experience power unless you embrace presence. So there was a simple choice that Jonah had to make since he was going to flee from the presence of the Lord. We can also assign the word power. So Jonah was fleeing from the power in the presence of the Lord. You see, the thing is, just in our cute little millennial uh, video, is that millennials do not want to be overpowered by authority figures. That was the case with Jonah. This is not a new problem. 
I could take you through story after story in the Old Testament of how certain people did not want to experience the presence of God because they didn't want to be overpowered. You see, idolatry is a serious sin, correct? Now, when we look at one of the most popular stories of idolatry, we have Aaron taking care of the people, tending to the people while Moses was up on high getting the tablets, receiving the laws. And it is interesting to me that God knew what was going on down there in the valley, but he stayed focused on his business up on the mountain. He was not distracted by the people manipulating Aaron to form an idol with his hands. Idolatry is you turning something or someone into a god with your own hands. That gives you the power to control it and manipulate it. You could have it talk to you, speak out forth commands from you, or whatever, because you formed it. So when we bring this into our modern culture today, there is no difference. They are forming before your very eyes, whether you want to hear it or not. And I did get a reply this week about how ridiculous it is of my proclamation that the millennial generation is forming a millennial Jesus. Really? Not so ridiculous. You see, they're forming their own kind of Jesus. And ultimately, it's going to be an idol if it's not already. See, they can tell this Jesus anything they want to tell him. They can hear this Jesus in their mind and be obedient to what this Jesus has asked them to do. So when they say, as the example I used last week, that the person very abruptly responded to, and that is, Jesus told me to divorce my husband. Because he does not want me unhappy being a child of God. Jesus does want you unhappy. You see, Jesus doesn't want us happy in our flesh. Jesus doesn't want us happy with any gods that we create. He wants us unhappy and restless until we find the real Jesus. Because he's already found you. See, that's how it really works. So you see, Jonah was actually not wanting to be overpowered by an authority figure. Fleeing from presence is fleeing from power. Fleeing from power keeps the power in your own decisions. Now, here's Jonah's deal. When we look at those scriptures... We see that Jonah is starting to figure out that in spite of his ability to use his own power to avoid the presence and power of God, that God was in charge of the storm, that God appointed the storm, that God appointed the waves that rose above the ship. God was still in charge of everything, but the unique thing is, listener, 
is that God let Jonah think his power in making decisions was true power for him. And it's not. You see, God doesn't panic when he sees you forming an idol. He doesn't panic. God doesn't panic when you set that idol up, whether it is a a rabbit's foot or whether it's a special rock or whether it's your your lucky tennis shoes or whether, by the way, lucky comes from Lucifer, but whatever it is that you're setting up there as your idol, he doesn't get shocked. And he sees you bowing and worshiping your tennis shoes. It doesn't weird him out. Now when you go through your day and you're talking to your friend and you say something to your friend that's got some kind of profound insight connected to it and your friend says, where did you get that? I've never read that in the Bible. My tennis shoes told me. I was, I was bowing down to my tennis shoes this morning, my lucky tennis shoes, and I did have my hand on my rabbit's foot at the same time. I, I will tell you that. And I'm telling you, those tennis shoes spoke to me. You spoke right into this soul of mine and said, Walk therefore into thy way that you create this thy pathway. Go forth into it. Your tennis shoes said that? Yeah. Is that not awesome? Now, that just sounds absolutely ridiculous, but I can guarantee you before the throne of God, I can put stupid, more stupid idols in front of you as illustrations than lucky tennis shoes. If you are superstitious at all, listen to me, listener, if you are superstitious at all, You have an idol in your life. But the facts are, typically we have more than one idol. Let's take a look at our next slide, refusing the existence of the law. Now, we're fleeing from presence, okay? Which we're fleeing from power, okay? We're doing a little logical reduction here. If we're fleeing from power... We don't have to worry about that person's presence or God's presence overpowering us, which overpowers our will. If we are creating our own laws to live by, that's called a lawless person. Therefore, the laws of God with that big L in front of it are are no longer absolute. They don't exist to them. Now let's talk about it. In eternity, there are two great things throughout all of eternity. Remember the definition of eternity. It's what is forever that way and forever that way. Now the timeline of God means it has no beginning and it has no end. Just trying to get this picture in your head. And then if you take the complete existence from creation to when it is set on fire, 
That tiny globe is just set on that timeline. And that's all we get. So, when you look at the spans of eternity, it is unmeasurable. So for people on that globe, setting on that timeline, and each of those people have one life to live, which is barely a vapor in God's nostril, and for them to think that they have more power than God is beyond demonic. So people who have taken ownership of power create their own laws and rules to live by. Yes, the most rebellious person on the face of the earth has rules. been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.